Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Megan Hughes has served as president of the Community College of Rhode Island since 2016. During that time, she's overseen Rhode Island's Promise Program, which gives eligible students free tuition. In January, she'll also become the chair of the Rhode Island Chamber of Commerce. Will this new position representing the business community help CCRI students, or will it conflict with their best interests? My colleague Dan McGowan talks with President Hughes about these questions and more after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org slash weekly. That's ripbs.org slash weekly. Welcome back. I'm Dan McGowan, and I'm here with Megan Hughes, the fifth president of the Community College of Rhode Island. Thank you for joining us, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start off with your new role as the chairman of the board for the Greater Providence Chamber of Commerce. Seems like an unusual role for a college president, but also one that uh, makes a lot of sense uh, when it comes to workforce and things like that. So how did you get involved with the chamber? What made you want to be the chair? I'll start with the perception of sort of this is an unusual appointment. It's done with real regularity all over the country. So I've got friends and colleagues all over the United States, community college presidents, who are uh, serving in this kind of capacity with chamber boards. And so when I think about uh, the opportunity that this presents is really just continuing the journey that the college and I have been on since I came into this position nearly six years ago. So I joined the chamber board in 2017. My colleagues from the four-year public institutions also sit on that board. Uh, And so that's a a long-established tradition uh, in Rhode Island. And I think what my appointment suggests is that uh, employers in Rhode Island Island, are realizing uh, with greater clarity the essential role that the community college must play with job training and skills development. So I'm really excited to have the opportunity to do that work as chair. In your role as chair of the Chamber of Commerce and then president at CCRI, there's going to be times where the needs of both constituencies are fundamentally at odds. 
at times there's going to be students who are stand to benefit from a higher minimum wage or, um, you know, a, a better child care system in this state. And so I'm curious how you're going to balance that role. I have spent my entire career believing that we need to set a very big table. And I'm going to always come back to where are the places that I can find common ground. I know what employers are looking for. I know what the students and Rhode Islanders that I serve are looking for. My role as chair is to build that bridge. And then second say, um, let's be very clear. The role of the chair is not to be a lobbyist. The role of the chair is not to go into the state house. That is not my role. My job as president of the community college is to go in and advocate for the legislation that's going to serve the students that I serve. That's been my focus for six years, and I'll continue to do that. And so um, I know that the board is aware of that. I think there is incredible space to focus on where there is tremendous alignment, and that's where I'll be focusing my energy. I'm curious what you hear from the the business community, because I feel like in, in, in your tenure at CCRI, hard to believe you're going to be in your seventh year in February, right? Um, you have really helped to kind of transform the college and uh, start to really think about what the needs of our businesses in this state are. So what are you hearing now that's maybe different than it was six or seven years ago? So I think where I would start is relative to some of our colleagues around the country, we had a lot of catching up to do to really create, I think, a mindset within the college that we needed to be responsive to Rhode Island's employers. The nature of work has changed, and it's continuing to change at almost warp speed. And so what I'm hearing from employers is a sense of we need folks who know how to think critically, who know how to write, who know how to do sort of the basic practical math required by whatever their uh, company requires, who know how to work on teams, who know how to be flexible. So a combination, I think, of hard and soft skills, almost without exception, what we're hearing is uh, whether you're going to become an engineer or whether you're going to become a paralegal, everyone's going to need some kind of basic computer literacy. And if you were to ask me to sort of talk about where we've really prioritized um, growing and developing quickly, I would say the technology space is right there in terms of our, our top priorities and where we're seeing the biggest growth. You've been at CCRI as we've transitioned to the Rhode Island Promise uh, program. To me, unqualified success when it comes to CCRI, one thing that always comes up, though, is the the um, challenges that Rhode Island College has had when it comes to enrollment. If you could do it all over again, recognizing that it wasn't your job to pass the Rhode Island Promise program, but if you could do it all over again, would you have designed the program differently? I'm a college president, so of course I'm going to want to create as much opportunity as humanly possible for as many Rhode Islanders and ultimately Americans as possible. I fundamentally believe that if this country is going to globally compete, we must adapt to a new model, and that model has to go beyond the 12th grade. You know, we aren't a destination. We are a bridge, and I believe that bridge needs to, in almost every case, get to a four-year degree. And our really close colleagues in this space are Rhode Island College and URI. We transfer the vast majority of our graduates to those two institutions, and I think that is likely to remain true. 
your question was, if I could go back, would I do it all over again? Here's what I know. I know that we are hard at work right now of Rhode Island College, the university, and CCRI at building what we've long known needs to be true, and that is a seamless transfer pathway. When you look at the highest performing states in the country uh, for, for, for higher education, Without exception, they have built those seamless pathways, whether it's Arizona or Virginia or North Carolina or Florida, they're doing it. Um, I came into this college knowing that was one of my top priorities. Um, if I were to bias you with a question, it should be, what have you left undone? This is not done. And I feel like we have just an incredibly significant opportunity to move it forward this year. Would you say that the best use of maybe more funding would be to expand Promise to URI and RIC? Or is there something that's more effective that, that would accomplish sure. the same goal? Sure. So I would say that's above my pay grade, and I would need President Parlange and President Sanchez here. I think um, I know what they would say. You know, maybe. Uh, you know, what I would say is let's um, maybe – you know what? That's a – it's a great question for a conversation. I think that question requires more thought. I genuinely do. And I'll just return to this concept of seamless transfer, setting up the kind of systems so that our students can graduate from us with a two-year degree and arrive at RIC or URI or even one of the privates if there's, you know, substantial financial aid for those privates and actually arrive as a junior with a path to graduate within, let's say, two years. Do you think – I've heard this thrown about a bit. Do you think that there's any chance of a CCRI in Rhode Island College merger on the horizon? Yeah. So I uh, moved to Rhode Island 20 years ago. I'm a Midwesterner, and I have learned that remarkable things are said on a daily basis. So I can tell you that no one who would be in a position to advocate for that kind of a model has ever initiated a conversation with me. What do you think, though? What do I think? Um, honestly, I'll tell you, I think we have a lot of work at CCRI that I remain really excited about doing. And I have not spent any time thinking about what that kind of a merger would look like. Sounds like another one. We should have a drink over sometime. Let's talk about the, the pandemic, most important thing that, that, that you know, you're coming out of now, and I know we're still in it. But what's the number one thing you've learned as, at CCRI um, following the, the you know, COVID crisis? I've learned a tremendous amount, but if I were allowed to say the most important single thing, the absolute remarkable resiliency of our students. I met virtually uh, with students uh, almost every day throughout uh, the worst part of the pandemic, and what I saw um, would have brought most people to their knees. And... Um, that they kept going has been one of the uh, most profound things I've ever witnessed. What I learned in a related fashion is what our faculty and our staff with um, no time to adapt, what they actually stood up and did because they knew what was at stake. Um, what was the hardest thing 
because you're, you're you're clearly this is an emotional thing for you. So what what's the what was the hardest? The hardest part thing. I mean, my guess is I would hope everyone here has read ten thousand pages on the impact of of this pandemic and who was disproportionately impacted. So the hardest thing was to be living in a pandemic and have not nearly the resources that we needed to make things okay. It felt like a nearly impossible situation. We closed our college in in March of 2020 with sort of 24 hours to make that decision. And we were serving, you know, 14,000 students with more than a thousand employees. No one would believe what we had to do, right? Four campuses. It was an extraordinary undertaking. The hardest thing was already knowing what would happen and it has happened, right? We've had the greatest enrollment decline in the college's history. We have lost more black and Latinx students, more low-income students than anything else. And, um, I worry whether we're ever getting them back. Right before the pandemic hit, the fall of 2019, we had the first uptick since the Great Recession. We were firing on all cylinders. The college was humming. Our outcomes were thrilling. And the pandemic, it was like a just a dark cloud that came over the college. On the student enrollment issue, I'm curious how much you attribute it to the, you know, the very difficult situation of coming out of COVID or being in in COVID versus some of the uh, benefits of people making more money right now and the Biden administration and before that the Trump administration's, um, you know, essentially handing out money to lots and lots of people. So is there a scenario here where too many students kind of for the first time in their lives made a little bit of money and went that route rather than going to college? Or do you attribute it more to just the difficulties of COVID? I've had many sleepless nights trying to unpack why we've lost so many students. Because if we can unpack that and identify why we've lost them, then we can design the strategies to recover them, right? So it's not a single answer. It's a multiplicity of answers. Where I would ground it, though, is if you're the working poor in this country, and especially if you're a Black or Latinx Rhode Islander, it's just a much harder hill to climb than someone who does not have that profile. Folks were going to college in their homes, often with siblings doing the same thing in their bedrooms. Figuring out how to be a college student is a task. Being asked to do that virtually is for many a virtually insurmountable task given the challenges. And so what I saw was students who had great intelligence, great drive, great resiliency, a strong desire to be successful, and they just weren't able to do that. So those are the students that we haven't been able to bring back. You've done a a lot of work in your tenure, even before your tenure at CCRI with K-12 education, but I'm curious broadly, do you think higher education, private and public, should do more with RIDE and in K-12 systems to prepare students uh, adequately for college? Of course, my answer is yes. You know, I met with, I'll call it a, a private college president two weeks ago, and I will omit the gender because then we'll narrow the field. I can say that that college president is intensely focused and committed on doing what you just said. I've yet to meet someone in higher education who says, um, 
you know, the K through 12 students of Rhode Island just aren't our problem. Um, it's not very inspiring, and I don't think it's why anyone went into education. So I think there are tremendous opportunities for doing more of it. Um, when I think about what is ours to do at the college, we are really going to focus on our black high school Rhode Islanders, Latinx high school Rhode Islanders, and low income, and really hold our team and hold the K through 12 system accountable for seeing disproportionate increases in the students we enroll from those um, demographics. You have to wrap up, so I just got a couple of quick ones for you. You had a very strong relationship with Governor Gina Raimondo. Curious how your relationship so far with the new governor is. Yeah, so um, I laugh about the very strong relationship. It goes back to the the the, the narratives and stories that are alive and well in Rhode Island. So I love that I I I love that I get the chance now to say that we were not college roommates. Um, <laughs> uh, what I will say, uh, what I'll say is the following. Look. Um, her tenure as governor, I think, produced some nationally recognized innovation in higher education. The Rhode Island Promise um, happened because, most of all, because Rhode Islanders got behind it, the legislature got behind it, and the governor and her team you know, made it a priority. My first meetings with now Governor McKee were in a, in a gym of a K through 12 gym. My first impressions of him were as an individual who shared my value that education, public education in this country, that there is nothing that matters more. I think he's been at the college three times in the last four weeks. He is really invested in figuring out public higher ed, and we're grateful to be working with him. Uh, one other thing when it comes to sort of your relationships, you've uh, had at times a, a tense relationship with uh, your unions at CCRI. The, a couple of them have voted no confidence in you. I know things have started to thaw out, out a little bit, but what's the status right now of, of your uh, your relationship with your unions? I come from a family of teachers. My mom was a teacher. My aunts were all teachers. I started uh, in the classroom. That's what I did before I uh, stepped out uh, of Tufts and went over to Europe. I have enormous respect for unions and understand well their history in this country and believe they have a place. Uh, when I look at CCRI, I think we're no different from any other organization, which is when we are required to adapt Adapting can be super hard, and I think it's going to produce um, the friction or the tension that you're describing. What I will say is I get to meet with our union leaders regularly. I have great respect for the work they're trying to do and that they are doing with their members, and I'm hopeful that as we move forward and are coming out of this pandemic that we're going to be able to um, work as effectively as we are right now. It was very artfully answered, so I can't let you leave without – the question that I get a lot about you, which is, are you ever going to run for office someday? Oh, you know, um, I wish that my family were sitting right here. Uh, they would answer for me. I love what I'm doing, uh, and I have no plans to run for office. Megan Hughes, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks. Thanks to Dan McGowan for that interview. Here's some more stories to check out this week in Globert Island. Did you hear the one about the Providence public school principal who was caught working at a DC school at the same time? Alexa Gagas reports that he was in person in Providence 
and logging in remotely to Washington. Hamilton opens at PPAC this week. Juliet Pennington has a preview of the show and an interview with the lead actor. And I have the latest on the prison gerrymandering issue. Nearly half of the inmates at Rhode Island's prisons are expected to be released in less than a year or haven't been sentenced. Should they be counted at prisons in Cranston or at their home addresses? Find these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. And if you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.